0: Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Cole McCray, producer and undergraduate scholar for the Gortney Institute. Well, us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gourney Institute and Wayne Angel, chair of economics, and Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. Finally, we have Kevin Ugrateche and Joel Pereira, graduate assistants and producers for the Gourney Institute. All right, so I was on um, at a conference, and there was people on the street there. Uh, this was in Phoenix, and so kind of the normal thing. It, my heart goes out to people who are on the street, uh, homeless, and uh, pretty down and out looking. Where and some, you know, clothes that haven't been washed for a while. And um, I made a choice very young uh, to not give treat, uh, maybe with the caveat if I learned their situation. But most of the time I don't have uh, the time or maybe even the desire, quite frankly, to engage in a conversation with somebody to learn why they're in the situation they're in. And so my thought as the, the old calculating economist was that incentives matter. And like if nobody gave to people on the streets um there'd be less people on the street because if nobody if they couldn't go out there and and beg and and get some funds that way then they wouldn't be out there and so i don't think that's a real great answer um you know the the pragmatist in me says that uh well just because you don't give um we're never going to live in a society where there won't be some people still giving even if it was against the law i think there would be lawbreakers and uh you know with cameras and stuff maybe they would get busted or something if, if it was against the law to give uh, to beggars on the street. Um, but I do give to my church and our church and, and other organizations I've given to over time that are designed to help people who are you know in trouble uh, or in need. So here in Ottawa, we have the Hope House and they have an inventory of food and uh, toiletries and, and clothing and other things um, so that when people are um, in a position that they, they need something, thing, they can go to the Hope House. And so our church funds the Hope House. So does a number of churches around Ottawa. And so to me, it's a better way to direct funds to helping people is to channel them through there where you potentially have it staffed with individuals that can learn their story or learn their situation and not just create uh, an enabling environment to where um, they're really not uh, resolving whatever brought them to the streets in the first place, uh, whether that's uh, drugs or mental illness or or abuse or whatever, uh, they've been dealing with, um, to continue to just hand a dollar or $5 or a $20 bill to somebody with a handout, um, I don't think is the best way to go about it. And so, uh, now I want to turn it over to Justin for him to admonish me on how, <laughs> how evil I am, uh, and how unethical and, uh, that, that approach is. Uh, well, okay. Um, so <laughs> I like
1: your idea of giving to your church and that, uh, The church. When you give to the church, it's uh, you think that you have a better idea of where that money is going. Um, And then you said that you don't like to give to people on the streets unless they, you know, you somehow know them.
0: Um, Or at least a little bit, yeah. Yeah,
1: find something out about their story. Um, I think those are fine. Um, You did say one thing that I don't think works as an argument, which is your uh, argument that, well, if everybody did this, then therefore uh, there wouldn't be anybody on the streets. And since that's the case, then I, that's why I don't have to give.
0: And it sounds like an easy way out for McCullough to keep his money and not have to give it. Yeah, and <laughs> and I
1: don't think the argument works as you know um, as you have it as a structure. So um, you can think people sometimes make the same argument about tipping. Right? They say, mm-hmm. uh, well, I don't tip, and uh, if nobody tipped, then um, <laughs> restaurants would be forced to pay their employees more. And since um, uh, since I want restaurants to pay their employees more, I'm not going to. Tip. Um, and in that case, I think it's fairly clear what somebody's doing is they're making an exception to themselves, of, about themselves, right? Um, they are, uh, you know, are they are they individually paying more for their food? No, they're not. They're paying the lower amount for their food, and then they're not tipping, even though tipping is a customary policy. And, you know, for listeners who are interested, we had a whole episode on tipping where Russ also said that he doesn't like tip. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> oh, I
0: don't know
1: about that one.
0: I'm, I'm kidding. kidding. It like
1: tip, but um, <laughs> uh, but I, I think that the analogies aren't exactly the same, um, because because uh, the person who says that they're not going to tip, um, they are paying a lower price overall, right? Yeah. But I do think there there is something similar in both of them, which is, uh, and you talk, you mentioned this a little bit, which is, well, there are people on the streets, and we're probably not going to live in a world where everybody does the same thing that you do. <laughs> so this counterfactual like doesn't really work. So I like the other arguments you gave about not giving to people on the street, which is, I take it something... Like, I feel like, or you know, bang for charity buck. Yeah, I get more bang for charity buck if I give it to my church. I think that when you throw out this other argument, it does make you seem like a kind of cold hearted economist who says, like, <laughs> well, you know, in the model of the world that I would rate, where nobody gives to people on the streets, and therefore uh, the incentives wouldn't make it so that people would be on the streets anymore. Um, and I, ju- I just don't think that argument works. I think the other arguments are better. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not saying that I give to, uh, you know, uh, people on the streets. Uh, you usually don't. Sometimes I do. Sometimes something that will pull them on, like my heartstring sometimes is like if there's kids involved, mm-hmm. um, then uh, that raises my propensity to give. Uh, particularly because I think that um, kids can be in situations that are no fault of their own. Yeah, um, where like I'm, I'm almost a hundred percent certain that kids in those situations are in those situations through no fault of their own, um, and uh, I'm less certain about that when it comes to you know military-aged adults, uh, males. So
0: basically, your behavior with giving with kids gives incentive for the people who are down and out to have kids so that they can use them as a tool to get more money. Exactly, and if you you ask them why (laughs) they
1: have kids, they always say, it's because that philosopher gave me $2, right?
0: Once upon a time, the philosopher gave (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, and I've, uh, you know, over time, I don't even know what pulled me. It was almost like maybe a a little experiment for myself. I have maybe once or twice like decided, you know what? I'm going to give this guy five bucks or whatever. And, and I don't I learned, I didn't feel very good about it. <laughs> and so I, again, I would rather give that $5 to an organization that's set up to, to help people in that need. And I think your uh, your, your thing about like investing is, is part of what um, I think of that uh, honestly teaching kind of the Dave Ramsey stuff has kind of impacted is that similar to investing, know what you're investing in. Don't take somebody else's advice like, oh, buy this stock or do this thing. Learn it yourself. Learn about why it is you should be able to at least have a general understanding not that you need to be a finance major and an expert in something but same the way you invest your dollars um, you're kind of investing in humanity in a sense you want to get a good rate of return on that and, and we know uh, that the person on the street if they have a drinking problem the, that five bucks might be going right to the quickie mart to buy another bottle of cheap vodka or something and you know we're really not getting a very good uh, charitable bang for your buck as you said so kind of curious with you guys in your countries um, so we have bolivia and and Portugal represented here. Uh what's it like in your countries? Do pe- do people give or not? Or what, what's your thoughts on the topic overall? So in Portugal, uh we see a lot of almost homeless, homeless people. And but uh, at least in my my view and what I do is I normally give money to the people that are like kind of homeless artists, I don't know if that's something like people that are going to do they are almost but they are able to have like instruments or whatever, do do some kind of show.
1: Oh sure. Did you say you do or you don't give? I
0: I do give to do. those oh, yeah. artists like when they are entertaining people and everyone yes. I, sometimes I do it yeah. but uh, to those that uh, they are normally like next to supermarkets asking for food I, I normally give the food and not I don't give the money for them because I think they are going to use to buy some tobacco or mm-hmm. like, alcohol Um. in general is homelessness uh, viewed as a, a major problem or just a little problem in your country? I think it's a major, major? especially because uh, it's getting more expensive to live in Portugal Mm. for Portuguese people. And for the most part, you have warm climates, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then it makes it a little bit the same thing happens in the United States and warmer climates. And so what about Bolivia?
1: Yes, we do have a lot of homeless people, but my philosophy on that would be maybe buy something to eat to that person because it's easier to get something on the streets. And my philosophy though is I will give something to a woman working like selling flowers, you know, with Mm. kids or an old lady because those are people that cannot do much. So if I can help that would be my situation which
0: i can give some so cole what about you coming from mighty linden only about 30 minutes cole grew up about 30 minutes here from ottawa so what's your uh feelings on that oh i mean i probably give to a church or something like that or um but i wanted to give to a homeless person i probably wouldn't give them money i might give them food or whatever i mean there are times even when people will literally like do have a roof over their head but they'll still actually uh go beg because they make a ton of money that way it's mm-hmm. kind of funny sometimes. yeah yeah it's hard to know when you're just like kind of giving blindly and that's kind of one of my bigger arguments. Well, this looks like a good spot for a break. And when we come back, I want to build on what uh, both of you two said from your countries on if it's artists or if there's if they're doing something. Um, so it kind of boils down to, I think, uh, an element of the dignity of work. And so if it's more of an exchange, uh, maybe it's just a feel-good thing, though. And that's why we'll fall back on Dr. Clark, see if we're just uh, covering up something or if we're really onto something there. We'll be back in just a bit.
1: Ottawa University has an exciting new major, PPE, which stands for philosophy, politics and economics. Each of these fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical. If you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles. If you are interested in politics, but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. This spring, Ottawa University is
0: organizing a PPE League competition or politics, philosophy, and economics. Students in this competition will compete, leveraging the ideas of philosophy, politics, and economics in various events. If you're a professor or an advisor of college students and you're interested in your school competing in PPE League this spring, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. By 2030, the Gortney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. We have some great programming going on for high school students. We have an online microeconomics class. Yes, you can earn college credit for $200 by taking an online class. It's affordable, flexible, layered with support. Our new online micro is optimized for you. If you'd like to consider some events for your high school students or that class, please contact Justin, Peter, or Russ today. All right, so we're back, and we left off thinking, um, you know, somebody is sitting on the street. Instead of just having their hand out with, uh, uh, with a cup or a bowl or something to put some money in, what if they're actually strumming on a guitar, or they've got a harmonica, or they've got uh, something to do, maybe doing a little dance or offering a little gesture? Uh, A story that I read, and I think it was the biblical answer to poverty, uh, a book that we did Uh, early on from faith work and economics group of a guy who would take yesterday's news this is when a newspaper was more more widely used than it is today they're almost obsolete which is bad because we're potentially putting a homeless person out of work Um, but what this guy would do is he'd go gather the paper from the day before so it's yesterday's news rather than today's news and so he'd be on the street so instead of just having his handout he was selling without having a direct price the yesterday's newspaper and so this guy tells the story that he would always drive by the same guy would be there every day and he'd buy a newspaper from him he'd take the old news and he didn't really want it or need it but uh he would give him a couple bucks or five bucks or whatever it was and so uh he had been doing this for a a number of months and so finally uh the guy came up as usual and and he said, you know what, keep the paper. And he thought he was helping him by saying, you know, keep it to keep your thing going. Here's five bucks. And the guy looked at him and said, I don't want your money. I don't need your money. And so he was adamant that it was important for him, the dignity of work, that he was doing something, that there was this exchange from his perspective, even though the guy who wanted to really just help him up out and the paper didn't add much value for him um you know wasn't doing it and so he was he was kind of surprised by that and then all of a sudden it, it made sense that even though this guy's in maybe a rough position he was finding work and and it was um something that uh, was easier to do because of the dignity of work and having that self-worth with it so um that kind of reminded me i think I, i'm with you guys if, if i saw somebody that was um doing something or something i i, I guess maybe the corollary to this is uh, the lemonade stand i anytime I see a kid that's you know running a lemonade stand at a garage sale or a cookie, I will pull over and go buy one. Even if I, I try to drink diet soda and water, but if they've got some syrupy lemonade and a Dixie cup this big or whatever, I go and buy it because I, I want to I love that they got that work ethic and they're you know doing something with it. And it's kind of fun to talk with the five year old or eight year old that's out there kind of trying to earn a buck. And so I'll make a special effort to uh to try to do that. So I I think it's kind of maybe similar in that vein so um i don't know dignity of work justin anything ring a bell from a philosophical angle there with that nope okay yes, no. that's fine. <laughs> yes
1: uh <laughs> yeah i think that that's uh really important is that people don't like to see themselves as the object of charity yeah. often yeah. um and uh yeah I don't know if I have anything else to add to that other than
0: Yeah, if they can find a way to not feel the object of that, that's a that's a positive, right? Because I could see that being uh negatively reinforcing if you're if you do feel like you have to be the object of charity and then that's a kind of a you're in a bad circumstances and you feel bad from being an object of charity. Um so
1: yeah, there there are claims that we ought to like destigmatize right receiving charity um because people who need it won't accept it mm-hmm. but then there are also claims and this gets back to your incentive thing that no we actually don't want um charity to be destigmatized, right um and so yeah
0: yeah the whole move with food stamps moving towards a kind of a debit card system so that when they go through the line you can't really tell either way because you're just charging a card which happens to be a food stamp card or something so yeah so uh do you think that like people uh think government aid is actually charity today, though? Or do you think that's kind of changed in society or something? Mm, great question. Yeah, um, mm.
1: So, as opposed to charity, maybe they re- think of it as an entitlement?
0: Uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and yeah, I think they do. I think that um, that, that has been a result of the destigmatizing of, um of charity or uh, however however you want to call it yeah um
0: yep and that that, that's a a source of value turning to the government of i need this and if it's too easy to get it that way again no they're not getting most of them anyway sort of maybe some fraudsters i mean uh, i had a let's just say a left-leaning colleague that i thought made a pretty good argument once she's like uh, yeah, they're not out there, uh, an extra can of Campbell's soup or something isn't going to be um, something that they're seeking or that it wouldn't be deterring them, that they love the lifestyle of having to get a free can of Campbell's soup or something, and so I'm like, you know, probably right that we we would have higher desires, but the more we enable that way, the the more detrimental and the more, there's always more to give, and so the growth of government giving in this result or in this case would be at least that would be a contributor i think
1: this connects to two things that i think i want to talk about one which is like what is the cause of this um and the other which has to do with giving locally versus um yep. giving internationally and even the this can um, play on like the the federal versus local giving so you mentioned giving to churches i think that's a cole mentioned too a lot of people do give to their churches. And I think churches are a great um, uh, target and um, distributor of aid because it is local. And so you do have a much better idea about where your money is going, right? There are some international uh, groups. Usually the one that gets cited a lot is like Oxfam, um, which has a really good auditing process. So you can be pretty sure that the money that you give um is mostly going to the intended recipients of it, so Oxfam's charities usually do things like mosquito nets, or they help the very worst off of the worst off globally, like little girls with a fistula, um, uh, who are you know have this genetic defect that is def- uh, deforms their faces. I believe that's what a fistula is. Um, and people like Peter Singer usually trot out oxfam is a good target for your donations Uh, but one thing that i think is interesting is when your money when the aid that you're receiving is coming from the federal government um, versus coming from something like a local church i think it's easier to view it as cole was saying earlier as an entitlement uh, because it's when you give to a church and you're receiving aid from a church you know oh, this is coming from these people, right? And these specific group of people made some kind of sacrifice to put this thing here for me to take, uh, for me to uh, be helped by. And that, I think, is different just psychologically than, oh, well, this came from the federal government um, and uh, it seems like they have a lot of money. Um, (laughs) And, you know, how much does a, you know, Scud missile cost or whatever? (laughs) Um, So I I think it's much easier if you are the recipient of aid to be um, less to not have the emotion of gratitude if it's coming from the federal government. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, I know when I get, you know, when those checks or whatever came out for COVID or whatever from uh, the government, Mm -hmm. I wasn't like are uh, really thankful for to the government <laughs> for it. Uh, right. Yeah. I, um, so, so that would be one thing to say, is that I think that the centralization of the distribution masks the um, sacrifice that people who are paying into or giving.
0: Right. Um, yeah. And on the church side, it was a voluntary gift as opposed to an involuntary gift if we want to call it that, of taxes through the government. Mechanism. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: there's a little bit there, maybe, too. There's a difference
1: there, too. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I think it even acc- happens at, like, the Oxfam level, right, where that, that charity is voluntarily given, to. But mm-hmm. it's not. Okay. Uh, yeah. But yeah. since it's so, the organization's so large and the people who receive the benefit are so far away, um, it's very difficult to make the donor recipient. Yeah. Um, relationship explicit
0: yeah well I, and i thought you were going to bring up your permissible partiality which um i guess i'll kind of frame this way if a person um might be conflicted like uh, i really want to give a thousand dollars and so should i split it you know five hundred dollars to my local uh, church and five hundred dollars to unicef or international aid program or something because i've seen these pictures of People down in Guatemala or down in in Africa that are really in need a lot more than the poor here in the United States, at least my perception is that way. And so, um, do I have to split it up 50 50 or should I really be thinking, oh man, that person in Africa is so much worse off? I'm going to give all thousand there and zero to my local church. Um, Is it okay? Is it morally all right, in your opinion, to be thinking about uh, the people? close to you giving them a more favorable status so to speak than than somebody far away
1: i think um all else equal you know um that you do have a more you do have a higher obligation to help those that are close to you and so i define closeness as um you know either emotionally physically or temporally yeah um so i think you do have a greater um obligation to help people like in your city than people halfway, halfway across the world. But I think your obligation also changes with regard to how badly off they are um, and whether or not how badly off they are is due to things that are within their control or not. And I think both of those other variables in the equation mm. can change things so much that it might actually, in some cases, make sense for you to give um, um, to Guatemala if you think that the people who um, are asking for charity in your town are there for, uh, you know, because they are drug addicts or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if everything else is the same, then I do think you have more of, of an obligation to um, fix things locally.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that gets into the causes of poverty that Cole was bringing up earlier. And so, um, uh, the way you framed it there, it's more of like things that are external kind of outside of your control versus things that are inside of your control. Now, when at some point in your life, you chose to do drugs and got sucked into addiction of some house, because some people will look at drug addiction, and say, oh, it's not their fault. They're addicted. I mean, they can't do, they're powerless against this drug. And that's probably a rightful claim in some ways, but is it okay to look back and say, well, wait a second, they're the ones who chose to do it when they were freshmen in college and and uh, went down the wrong path. So hopefully our some of our freshmen in college that are here in the room and otherwise won't be dabbling with meth anytime soon. I'm pretty comfortable Cole won't be doing that, but <laughs> yeah, you know, kind of go down that path. Um, what do you think about that, those problems as a cause of of course, mental illness, um, that might have been more nature from day one. You were born with this mental illness. And I don't know. What are some of your thoughts there? Cole sold me all the math I've ever tried. Wow. Um
1: I think that you're right, that some people do say um, that people who are um, homeless due to drug addiction, like, that it's not within their power to change it, even though it might have been within their power to start it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I actually think that some addicts are like this, right? That the they do have the act in philosophy, it's called like ac- acrasia or accuracy, a weakness of will doing the thing that you know isn't isn't good. Mm, that's
0: bad for you, yeah.
1: Um, but I think that whether or not you think that. Um, it's within their control to stop it or whatever, um, that it ought to at least change what you think you're doing about the problem. So San Francisco's like, you know, I lived there for five years. Um, San Francisco has policies where there are open air drug markets um, and there are just tent cities and people from essentially all over the United States go there to die, right, to um you can see video that happens in other cities too Like philadelphia is a big one right now too Um, and whether or not you think that these people can change voluntarily um what you ought not to do is contribute to a system that is just maintaining the status quo right Um, and so what i think you ought to do then is to say something like well if i'm going to the best way to help these people then isn't to give them money, right? It is to advocate for local policies to change so that these people can be arrested and put into treatment. Right. Right. Because they, if what you and I have said is right, then they need to be forcibly treated um, because they can't do it on their own. And I think this is actually what you see in a lot of, um, tent cities and, uh, and things like that. So, uh, it whether or not you think that you should give locally if you still think that you should give locally and i'm a big advocate of giving locally that doesn't mean like handing money to people locally it means trying to fix what's wrong in your locality uh, yeah. and so that can take different forms depending on what the problems are in places and if you look at uh, places like san francisco that have huge homeless encampments like this it is a drug addiction problem. Yeah. It just is. Like, that's what's driving the homelessness problem in San Francisco. Yeah. It might not be driving the homeless problem everywhere, um, but uh, there surely are some people who are homeless just because they need a little bit of help to get out of it. There are also large groups of people who are homeless for drug addiction, drug addi- mm-hmm. drug addiction problems, and simply giving them money isn't going to help.
0: Yeah. And I've talked to, uh, we had a guy named Pockets uh, during my property management days, and then another guy named Grits. And these guys chose to be homeless. They really did. We talked to them. They, they would do miscellaneous jobs that are for our apartment buildings and kind of keep an eye on things. And, you know, and then... Uh, we kind of came to learn that this is the lifestyle they're choosing these particular guys didn't have, well maybe grits had maybe a little bit of drinking problem but uh, pockets was clean as near as we could tell he liked that lifestyle and uh he was able to make ends meet by doing little odds and ends job and living out of a, a storage shed basically and that was the life he chose to live but i think he's a small rare fraction i i think uh more people are uh, due to drug addiction and mental illness, and that's probably pretty hard to disentangle too. Um, but yeah,
1: yeah, um, yeah. Which again just goes to sh- say that, like, if you want to give locally, handing money to people might might not be the best idea. Right,
0: right. Well, the last thing I want to bring up, unless there's other people that I'll go from here, but uh, I've I've kind of after looking at the data and other things, um, I'm. I'm kind of think there's a natural rate of poverty that we can't go below. Like our objective from a policy standpoint um, shouldn't be to continue from either a moral standpoint or otherwise, but I'm talking just from a practical standpoint to try to make the poverty rate go to zero. And uh, if you look at the data for the last 30 years, the poverty rate's been around eight to 9%, pretty flat it came down substantially, probably due to some policies and safety nets that we have in place in the United States. But right now, it's pretty flat. And so I think when you reach a point where there's always going to be some people on drugs, and there's always going to be some mental illness, and and when you reach a point that from a practical standpoint, let's say government budget dollars or otherwise, I mean, to me, private charity is always there as the ultimate safety net. But from a government forced standpoint on uh creating more programs let's say or whatever i think there is kind of a natural rate of poverty and i'm not so sure we're not at that in the united states we're one of the richest countries in the world um uh the poorest of our poor have a refrigerator and they have air conditioning and they have a cell phone and they might even have a car to drive around and so um we're we can only do so much i think because we get to the point where we're at where you can't fix it with material things anymore the drug addiction and the mental illness or whatever the case is
1: there are two things i want to say about this first is that a lot of people get mixed up when they talk about poverty because they mistake the absolute and relative poverty which Mm -hmm. gets um um clouded in the discourse yeah Um, so if People define poverty as some people do as being in like the lowest quintile of uh, GDP. Then uh, eradicating poverty not only isn't going to be um, a good like it's going to literally make no sense. Right. Saying like we want That's to make sure that the lowest 5% yeah. is, uh, <laughs> you don't have a lowest five percent, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but what you could do is try to make it the case that the people in the lowest quintile of uh, relative poverty still have very high standards of living, um absolutely or materially. Um and I agree with you that there's going to be some level of poverty that um, I think is ineradicable, specifically because there are going to be some people like what was your friend's name? Biscuits or uh, po- yeah pockets. Pockets. <laughs> yeah. Pockets uh, and grits. Because pockets and oh well grits was the other guy. Biscuits is kind of in the middle of pockets <laughs> yeah. and grits. Yeah. Um there are going to be, you know, the biscuits of the world who who just aren't, that is the life that they choose. Yeah. But a lot of people in poverty yeah. don't choose that. I think that people that do choose that do fall into like the drug addict category in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. And then I think that we can have a discussion about okay, I actually think this is like a bad way to live, even if people do want to live that way. Um, yeah, It seems impossible for people to live that way without harming the property of others.
0: Um, yeah, not a flourishing a, life with our yeah with and, our if, line you know, and, and if we go,
1: if somebody says, well, I think we're at that uh, minimal level of poverty, I can say like, well, I know San Francisco has gotten like... Eight times worse since I lived there. Was it like above the natural level of poverty (laughs) before I was there? It didn't seem like it. I still saw a decent amount of poverty. I still saw a decent amount of drug use when I was there. So Mm -hmm. it seems like there certainly are places where there are policies that we could enact which would. reduce the level of poverty in those localities
0: yeah. that or remove think... remove existing policies that are detrimental that are attracting more yeah people there was
1: just a, like... a story yeah. in the news this week about san francisco where there's a guy living in a homemade tent outside of a school and he has a sign out that says free fentanyl for first-time users and he's been there for two years oh and they... oh and <laughs> he's a convicted uh sex offender no and like, yes and they can't remove him
0: because of the laws on the books, they can't. Yes,
1: because of the laws on the books, they can't remember. Unbelievable.
0: Them. Wow. So
1: I take it that's not what you mean by this like perfect <laughs> <horrific laughs> level of poverty, right? Right. 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 There, yeah. we still, there are still at least areas of the country where we can make some progress. Oh yeah, for that. sure. Yeah. That we Yeah.
0: And I, I think in my ideal world, it would be to um let's say come up with strategic ways or ways to phase out uh some government spending, or at least freeze it. And actually, the 1993 bill that Clinton passed uh, with the Poverty Reform Act did a lot. Like People point towards that, where the amount of aid you can get off the welfare program is limited to five years. And so what happens is, the the thought is, the government's got this in place that uh, for helping people who are temporarily down on their luck. And so all of a sudden, when people knew they only have five years, they try to get out of poverty as soon as possible. Because if they were in it for one year, they still had four years left, they're like, oh, I'm gonna get a job or I'm gonna go work or whatever, You know, fight their way out of their situation. And so by having that limited, then it, it transitions into uh, voluntary charity if they're still in need or if, they're, if they've used up. And I, I think that um, angle uh, would be a positive way for us to grow as the population grows um having some mechanisms in place that allow our uh very charitable charities uh to uh, supplant what otherwise maybe traditionally had been government. So all right. Well that looks like a good spot to break. Can I say one more thing? Yes, I absolutely. To I was gonna say unless it, there's uh, any last words. So when
1: it was brought up about like musicians and so sometimes this is called busking. Yeah. that's the, the bus. Yeah. yeah. Uh and um I worked at a restaurant that had like patio seating and uh we just could not stand this guy who would play saxophone outside because mm. uh, he was terrible and he was old and he wouldn't <laughs> play songs, he would just like like no just like jazz notes that uh, almost you know, like a practice I, session from a yeah, grade schooler yeah so some <laughs> like the we had some of the cooks hated him so bad they would go out and give him money and say get go down the street i'll give you else. five bucks yeah, at least a if block if you away. leave i will give you some <laughs> money um so uh, while I agree with you, like, that I, I actually, uh, not, it's not all performing. Right? And this goes with Russ's lemonade stand, too. Like, if I see kids performing, I'm always like, oh, great, you know, this is great, you know, especially if they're like decent on a guitar or whatever. Um, but yeah, so the, uh, sometimes I see some old people out there playing, <laughs> and I'm just like, this drives me crazy. So,
0: all right, well, that'll be our final word then for day. So this has been a production of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University. Like thank you all for listening. A five-star rating helps other people find us. So please pass uh, this podcast along and maybe some others that you think other people will like. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.